Okay, now, uh, things have changed, I suppose, in recent years with the advent of iTunes and musical downloads. Um, but if you've lived for any length of time in the United Kingdom, you know this. For years and years and years, any pop artist worth their salt was desperate to have a Christmas number one. Isn't that right? We know that. Like, to be number one, top the charts at Christmas. For most pop artists, that was the be-all and end-all, wasn't it? That was the pinnacle. That was absolutely everything. Christmas number one. Tonight, you know what we're going to do? In our time together, short time just now, we're going to consider a Christmas song. And this is a song that has inspired millions of people throughout the centuries. And actually, I think if you think about it historically, it is probably, dare I say, the most the most famous Christmas song of them all, even more famous than the Pogues. Because tonight we're going to consider what is called the Magnificat. This amazing song that Mary, the mother of the Lord Jesus, sings here in Luke chapter 1. So we're going to consider the Magnificat. Now, if you are joining us for the first time tonight, I suppose uh, you're at a slight disadvantage, ever so slight disadvantage, uh, because over the last few services, what we've been doing is working our way up to this song. You know, we've been looking at the background and the run-up to it. So just so that we're all on the same page, let me pretend that I'm filling you in on what has happened. What's the background here? Of course, Mary, this young woman, has just found out that she is pregnant. What do we all know? This was a pregnancy like none other, right? That there is no human father involved in this at all. And in fact, what does she know? She knows that because of a work of the Spirit of God, the child within her is none other than the Son of Almighty God. Now, in the immediately preceding section, did you notice what happened? Mary has gone up to share that news with her elderly cousin Elizabeth, hasn't she? And did you notice how Elizabeth responds to the news? She just spontaneously, immediately breaks into it, praise inspired by the Holy Spirit. But what is this? As you and I tonight open our Bibles... We come into this section, what do you see? Mary too, the mother of the Lord Jesus, she also bursts in song, spontaneous praise. She sings to God. So what is this? Come on, tonight. What is this song all about? Well, let me lay out the plan before you, the most simple of plans. Tonight, all we're going to do is highlight three elements of the song. And then you can go and enjoy Christmas. Okay, three elements of this song that she sings. You ready for the first one? Mary praises God for personal salvation. Personal salvation. I I want to speak to the boys and uh, girls who are here uh, tonight. So you must awaken yourselves, children. Okay, you ready? Really easy question. What part of the body do we use to sing? How, what would you say? Go for it. Mouth. Brilliant answer. I was thinking it could be lips, it could be tongue, it could be mouth, but we get the idea. Right? 
Oh yeah, no, that's straightforward. So isn't it quite interesting how Mary begins the song? Do you see? Look at it. Verse 46. Her soul sings. Her soul magnifies. Read on. Her spirit rejoices. Now I say to you tonight, do we not learn something even in that little detail here? Because does that not tell us that this was the song? No superficial hymn of praise, was it? There's nothing superficial here. And you know what I'm talking about because maybe we've just done that. Maybe you've just done that. You know what it's like in church sometimes. Maybe we sing and we go through the motions, right? And our hearts are not really in it sometimes. Maybe you've just done that with one of the carols. We're singing, we go through it, yeah, it's fine. But we're not engaged. It's, it's, it's not worship. You understand though, that's not Mary. Like this is a song that is, is heartfelt. I mean, this is the most sincere moment that you've got in front of you just now. Now, I think, personally speaking, that raises a question in my mind. If she's so full of joy that she's singing her heart out to God, why is this woman so happy? Why? What's, what's so delightful about her situation? Let me go for two things here. First is this. She's praising God because of the undeserved honor she's about to receive from him. Look at verse 48. Please do it. Look at verse 48. What has God done for this woman? Like she's in a, you might say she's in a difficult predicament, first century world, pregnant, out of wedlock. But what she praising? He, God has taken her, do you see, from a humble estate, a lowly status. And what has he done for her? Do you see? He's ensured that she will be remembered. This woman, remembered for, for generations. So do you see her? Do you see her? Like she's singing and she's rejoicing because God has turned her life upside down. That through this pregnancy, she goes from rags spiritually to riches in his sight. Isn't that right? But then, more than that, don't you think we get the, just the most precious insight from the way that she describes God? And I, I'll say this for nothing. I think this is everything in this song. This next little detail, this is it. I love this. Look at it with me. 47. What does she call God? She rejoices in God, her. Do you see the word? God, her. Savior. I want us to consider that. So, who would you, I'll turn it to you. Who would you say is the greatest woman who has ever walked the face of this earth? Who would you say? I'm sure a lot of the men would say, oh, my wife is the greatest. I'm sure that would be the case. Callum, is that the case? Yes. Good. And some of the children would say, my mum is the greatest woman who's, who's ever, ever lived. But who would you say? Come on, see, who would we say? Greatest woman who's ever lived. Joan of Arc. Some people might say that. Elizabeth the first. I don't know. Florence Nightingale. I, I, I don't know. No. Do you know what we've just learned? In verse 42, Elizabeth has just declared in the power of the Holy Spirit that Mary... In the sight of God is the greatest of all women. 
I mean, look at it. He says, to of Mary, most blessed are you, most blessed among all of the women. And when you take that in hand, isn't that description of God as Mary's Savior, isn't it all the more stark? Because what does it tell us? It tells us even the greatest woman who's ever lived needed saving. Even the greatest woman was a sinner in need of salvation. And so now we see why she's singing her heart out. Because what does she realize? She realizes this child within her. She can't see it clearly. She gets a glimpse though that this is a savior sent from God. Now, it's lovely, isn't it? Isn't it to read this and get an insight into how the mother of the Lord is thinking at this time? Beautiful. But what about you? Uh, What is there here for you? Is it not true that in this song, friend, you are confronted with your need? Your desperate need. You know if you know the Bible at all, that from beginning to end... That God declares that all people everywhere are separated from him. Because of our nature, because of our sin, because of our works, because of who we are, a chasm exists between ourselves and this holy, perfect God. I mean, think about it. If a woman like Mary was in need of salvation, so are you. So am I. We're confronted with our need here. And so, if you hear nothing else tonight, hear this. This joy, this soul joy, this spirit joy that she has here, it's found, yes, in recognizing that need. Oh, the need of salvation. But also by recognizing that in this child, the Lord Jesus Christ, God here at Christmas, had met that need. He has provided a saviour and a saviour from sin. Mary praises God for personal salvation. Okay, second thing. Remember, there's only three. Second thing. Mary praises God here for promised salvation. Promised salvation. Um, I wonder if any of you have seen the new Star Wars film. Have you seen the new Star Wars film? A few nods around. Don't you dare tell me anything about the new Star Wars film, please. Because I've not seen it yet. But I have read a lot of reviews about this film. And apparently uh, this film is much more uh, elaborately filmed than the previous Star Wars film. There's a lot of eloquent cinematography in the new Star Wars. A lot more, I don't know, a lot more close-ups, slow-mos, that sort of thing. I love, actually, what one commentator says about the song. (laughs) The cinematography of the song says this, that at the start, there is a close-up of Mary's face. And then at this point of the song, What happens is that the camera almost pans back from Mary and shows Mary now standing in amongst a multitude of people. 
in amongst the multitude of the people of God. Maybe, do you, I mean, that's a bit fancy, okay? That's what I thought when I read it. But do you see what he's saying? See, on verse 50, what happens? Mary, she's speaking about herself up until this point. It's all on her. Then what does she do at verse 50? Do you notice she begins to speak much more generally? And I want you to listen to this. What she does in the second half of this song is sets this pregnancy, this moment, this incarnation in its context of how God has worked throughout history. Now did everyone get that? What Mary does is root the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ into the world, roots it in redemptive history. Okay, you see what she's doing? So she was focusing herself, now it's much more general. It's about history and God's working. Now, as she does that, we learn a couple of things. But you know what's beautiful? We learn a couple of things about God. Okay? About God. So you want to get these, don't you? First is this, that God is a God who turns the tables. Would you do this with me? Would you look at verse 52? So right into the second half now. Look at verse, verse 52. Who is God? God is one who brings down, do you see, the mighty from their throne. So he's a God who's flicked the tables, turned the tables on the mighty. Read on. He's also one who raised up those of humble estate. Then in verse 53, he's one who fills the hungry, turns the tables for them. Carry on. He is one who turns the rich away. Now, let's slow down. Do you see what Mary's saying? She's not just saying that God has turned the tables for her. She is not just saying that God has turned the tables for so many throughout history. What is she saying? She is saying that this is the way that God is going to act through the Savior that he is sending into the world. Do you see it? That Jesus Christ is going to turn everything on his head. Do you see it? That through his righteous life that he's going to live through a death that deals with sin, through his miraculous resurrection what shall happen? Christ shall turn the tables. And you can see can't you? That's the message of the gospel. That's the message the church proclaims. In Jesus what happens? The first become the last. The last shall be first. Isn't that right? Wait a Hang on a second. Blessed will be those who mourn the meek shall inherit the earth to see it it's marvelous isn't it through the Lord Jesus through this redemptive work everything turned on its head so that's the first thing the second thing about who about God is this God is a God who keeps his promises and I don't know some of you in here tonight um, it is maybe your first time here, and for others, I don't know where you stand spiritually, and I don't know what your life is like tonight. I know pretty much that you are going to agree with what I'm just about to say. It's such a lovely thing, isn't it, when we can trust another person. <laughs> to be able to do that is really special. And it's an awful thing when we can't trust somebody, isn't it? Maybe that's uh, what's happened to you this year. Who knows? Maybe that is the case. 
somebody breaks your confidence, somebody truly lets you down. That's awful. It's a lovely thing. A beautiful thing to be able to implicitly trust another person. Do you see that that is what Mary is saying in the song of the Lord God Most High? You see, because look at how she ends the song. Do you notice who she mentions? Maybe you understand now if you look at it. Look at the end. Do you see who she mentions? Maybe you understand why we read Genesis. Who does she mention? God's promise to Abraham. Now, friends, you know what she's talking about there, do you? Right at the start of the Bible. Right after the fall. What has God done? God has made a promise. What's the promise? To work salvation for his people. And it's a promise, if you know your Bible, it's a promise that he goes on to unpack and detail throughout Scripture. And what does Mary see? What does she know? Suddenly she realizes, not fully, but she realizes something that this child within her is the fulfillment of that great promise. She begins to see in part, not in whole, but in part, she begins to see this child is the seed of the woman who would crush the serpent's head. She begins to see, wait, this... This one here, perhaps he is the one through whom the promises to Abram will be at last fulfilled. She says, this is this, is this the mediator of the covenant of grace? Do you see? And I think that is just the most wonderful thing for us tonight. Because do you see what it means? It means this. The God of the Bible is one in whom you can trust and I say again yeah I don't know you I don't know some of you I don't know where you are but isn't that worth hearing God is someone in whom you can trust that what he has done is he's made a promise he has promised to work salvation through a savior and what do we see at Christmas why is the church happy why He's kept his word. In this Jesus, he has sent to us a savior from sin. God has kept his word. So Mary praises God for personal salvation. Mary praises God for promised salvation. And we close with the third one. God, Mary praises God for the part that you can have in salvation. It's said a lot that Christianity is a religion that's different to others. You'll have heard that before. That where other belief systems and other faiths place demands on their followers in order to attain divine favor, that it demands that its followers do things to inherit eternal life. The Christian gospel is different. What do we say? God has done it. God has done it all. Now, that gospel theme 
is evident in the song. You see what I mean? The dominant motif of Mary's song of praise is what? The dominant theme is God's done it all. God has worked throughout history. God has said, God has saved you. God has done it all. There's your themes. The gospel, this is a gospel song. Gospel song. But that takes us to something we've got to wrestle with before we close and before you can go. What you know from the Bible, I'm sure, is that not all people are saved. It's not an easy one for the church to to grapple with, for anyone to wrestle with. But the Bible, God makes it clear that not all people are saved and will inherit eternal life. So you see the logical question that we must ask, friends. Do you? Do you see the question? If not all people are saved... And we're not to enter into a huge amount of works to attain salvation. What are we supposed to do? Like, how does this work? How do I inherit eternal life? How do I get to heaven? How am I saved? Good question. I'm glad you asked the question. Because, friends, that question is answered beautifully, simply, succinctly in Mary's song. And given that this is big stuff, given the gravity of this, we're talking about heaven, we're talking about your eternal life, given that, surely you'll look at it with me, will you? It's in verse 50. Come on, this is how salvation works. What does does she say? How does it work? She says, how do we get God's mercy? God's mercy is for those who, what does that say? Fear him? Isn't that a mistake? Salvate God's mercy is for those who fear Him. Man, I was scratching our head. I'm scared of spiders. I'm scared of heights. I mean, what is this? God's mercy is, what does that mean? Well, understand that throughout the Old Testament, to fear God was a way of describing the type of faith that a person must have to enter into a relationship with God. Now follow this. Follow it. What does it mean to fear God? It meant to understand something of who God is. He's creator. He's a holy and righteous and just God. Then, what else does it mean to fear God? It means understanding something of our desperate needs. Sinners lost. Separated from, from this holy God. But then, what does it mean to fear God? What does it mean? It means then with that awareness of our need to put our trust in His redeeming work. To put our trust in God's salvation. Are you following? What does it mean to fear God? Trembling trust in His redemption. Trembling trust in God's salvation. You see? Now, this is where I'll end. This is where we end. In verse 50... Mary says, yes. Do you see what she says? God's mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Do you see what that means? God's salvation is a consistent thing. Something that he worked in years gone by. Something he works now. If you are not a Christian in here tonight, do you see what that means? I think it's amazing. It means that tonight... In here, Christmas Eve, you can come to know the saving mercy of God. 
And isn't that something? No wonder the church talks about good news. I mean, that is the greatest news imaginable. Do you see what I'm seeing? I'm seeing eternal life. I'm seeing heaven. I'm seeing the weight of your sin lifted off you forevermore. And how if you will put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I, I end in the predictable, obvious way, but I'm, I'm no less sincere. Will you not contemplate that tonight? Will you not think about that? Will you not understand your sin and the separation from God, His holiness? Will you not see what He's done for you in Christ? And will you not bow, bow to this almighty, merciful God? You see, if you do that tonight, you know what happens? We all leave here and we can hear another song. We can hear it faintly. If you bow, you fall before Jesus Christ for the first time tonight, we will maybe hear the angels in heaven rejoicing over another sinner who has repented. And that would be surely the best Christmas song of them all. Let's pray. Lord, how we sing to you of your greatness and your mercy. How we sing to you, O Lord, that you are God, our Savior. How we praise you for what you have done in sending Christ into the world. And how we ask that you would awaken people by grace to the majesty of God incarnate. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.